We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Fellowship Bible Church this morning. Welcome if you're not at Fellowship Bible Church, but if you're on our website, we welcome you as well to the live stream. Good to see you all this morning. Our scripture reading this morning is in Ezekiel 26, if you would turn there with me. Again, we're in the section of the uh, prophecy here that has to do with burdens or proclamations, um, pronouncements against the various nations about uh, Israel, and we're reading in 26 against Tyre, T-Y-R-E, Tyre. And it came to pass in the eleventh year, in the first day of the month, that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, because Tyre has said against Jerusalem, Aha, she is broken, who was the gateway of the peoples. Now she is turned over to me, and I shall be filled. She is laid waste. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Tyre, and will cause many nations to come up against you, as the sea causes its waves to come up. And they shall destroy the walls of Tyre and break down her towers. I will also scrape her dust from her and make her like the top of a rock. It shall be a place for spreading nets in the midst of the sea, for I have spoken, says the Lord God. It shall become plunder for the nations. Also, her daughter villages, which are in the fields, shall be slain by the sword. Then they shall know that I am the Lord." For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will bring against Tyre from the north Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, king of kings, with horses, with chariots, and with horsemen, and an army with many people. He will slay with the sword your daughter villages in the fields. He will heap up a siege mound against you, build a wall against you, and raise a defense against you. He will direct his battering rams against your walls, and with his axes he will break down your towers." Because of the abundance of his horses, their dust will cover you. Your walls will shake at the noise of the horsemen, the wagons and the chariots when he enters your gates as men enter a city that has been breached. With the hooves of his horses, he will trample all your streets. He will slay your people by the sword and your strong pillars will fall to the ground. They will plunder your riches and pillage your merchandise. They will break down your walls and destroy your pleasant houses. They will lay your stones, your timber, and your soil in the midst of the water. I will put an end to the sound of your songs, and the sound of your harps shall be heard no more. I will make you like the top of a rock. You shall be a place for spreading nets, and you shall never be rebuilt. For I, the Lord, have spoken, says the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to Tyre, Will the coastlands not shake at the sound of your fall, when the wounded cry, when slaughter is made in the midst of you? Then all the princes of the sea will come down from their thrones, lay aside their robes, and take off their embroidered garments. They will clothe themselves with trembling. They will sit on the ground, tremble every moment, and be astonished at you. 
and they will take up a lamentation for you and say to you, How have you have perished, O one inhabited by seafaring men, O renowned city who was strong at sea, she and her inhabitants, who caused their terror to be on all her inhabitants? Now the coastlands tremble on the day of your fall. Yes, the coastlands by the sea are troubled at your departure. For thus says the Lord God, when I make you a desolate city like cities that are not inhabited, when I bring the deep upon you and great waters cover you, then I will bring you down with those who descend into the pit, the people of old, and I will make you dwell in the lowest part of the earth, in places desolate from antiquity, with those who go down to the pit, so that you may never be inhabited, and I shall establish glory in the land of the living. I will make you a terror, and you shall be no more. Though you are sought for now, for you will never be found again, says the Lord God. Eventually, all these proud nations will be put right down, will they not? Yes, but not yet. Hmm. Let's turn our Bibles to Philippians, if you would, please. Our message is there this morning, Philippians chapter 2, segment of the chapter. The title of the message this morning is Epaphroditus, a first-rate servant. In 2.25, it says this, Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. So just look at that name for a moment. And um, this is just a little uh, pronunciation lesson here. Don't let it trip you up, okay? It's Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus, okay? It's a, that's a perfectly acceptable way to say it. You might find another way to say it, but uh, that is a good one, Epaphroditus. You see that PH there sounding like the F, the RO, and then the Ditus. Uh, his name is not a disease now, okay? Uh, it's not uh, otitis media, or uh, which I've had many experiences with, perhaps you have as well, uh, or pancreatitis. No, it's Epaphroditus here, okay? Um, and uh, he was a, a, a servant of the church in Philippi and also of the Apostle Paul. And I'll try to describe here what the situation is again so we get familiar with it. But let me read on verse 26. Since he was longing for you all and was distressed, why was he distressed? Because you had heard that he was sick. I'll take a second to unravel that here in a minute. For indeed, he was sick, almost unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem, because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Epaphroditus comes up here in this chapter, chapter 2, and also in chapter 4, verse 18. And I'll just read that to you, because it's the only other verse where he appears in Scripture, it says, Indeed, I have all in abound, 4.18, I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing 
to God. The text here, when you read it and you, you stop and think, okay, how, maybe, maybe you're thinking this, how in the world is pastor going to get a message out of this? For me, well, don't you worry. <laughs> I've worked on that this week and uh, have something for you. It may be, you know, seem like it's so focused on Paul's present circumstances that it, it doesn't have any, you know, modern helpfulness today. But I think we're going to find some good gems in here if we carefully study. Uh, it's, it's always like that when you initially read a portion and you say, what in the world? But when you get the spade out and you start digging and you start, you know, filtering through, you know, your screen, all the, you know, the, you find the artifacts in the soil, you find all these artifacts in here and things that are neat and helpful and, and applicable to us. So for one thing, think of this example, Paul cared for Epaphroditus deeply. Epaphroditus cared for his church family and the church family cared for Epaphroditus. Here is a model of mutual care for one another. I want to encourage you to think about that, mutual care. The, the minister, Epaphroditus, caring for his church, the church, I mean, he's more concerned about them than he is about himself. They're more concerned about him than they are of themselves, and Paul is more concerned with the whole thing, everybody, <clears throat> and they, for Paul, that's why they sent Epaphroditus to him in the first place. And so you have a model of mutual care here in the body of Christ. The end of verse 30 describes the situation. It says again uh, that he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. What had happened was the Philippian church sent Epaphroditus to Rome. So we say our, our, our missionary who planted the church has got problems. Um, we band together and we collect an offering. And we say, we're going to send you to take the offering to him. You're the right man for the job. And uh, so they do that. <clears throat> they sent him to, to, to Rome. Now, how did he... What, think about what that entails. Just think about that for a second. You go from our church to over there, 600 miles as the crow flies, 700 plus miles if you drive you know, in your automobile on the Via Ignatia, as it's called, the Ignatius Adas. Um, but wait a minute, they didn't have cars back then. Uh, and that, was gonna, that would be a 20-hour car ride if it were in a, in a, in a, in a ferry ride across the Adriatic Sea. But they couldn't go that way. This would be days and days of traveling, perhaps weeks if the schedule didn't work out right. And by the way, once you got into Italy and then up to Rome, how do you find Paul? I mean, do they have the prison directory you know, online that you can find what you know, cell he's in? You have to go find him. We see that elsewhere in the scriptures, Onesiphorus or Onesiphorus. Uh, well, Onesimus was another one. Onesiphorus was another guy who went to find Paul and minister to him. Um, so that's a big project for him. 
But he delayed in returning. You know, he was there to deliver, going there to deliver this aid to Paul, and he delayed in coming back, so the church began to wonder what in the world is happening with this fellow. Uh, was he injured? Was he, did he die? Did robbers get him and the, and the gift that he was bringing? The money was stolen? Had he stolen the money? Then they got word back finally that he was sick. And somehow the fact that they knew that got back to Paul and Epaphroditus in Rome. Let me say that again. He goes to Rome. He gets sick. He's hundreds of miles away. The the news that he's sick travels to there and makes a round trip back. So Epaphroditus knows that they know that he's sick. Now, that's interesting because the news traveled ahead of them somehow. I don't know how it got passed, but somebody brought that news. And it must have been that he was sick for a while. It wasn't like, you know, he got a cold for a week and, and, and that was it. He was probably sick for weeks for this information to go there and then to come all the way back to them. And so Paul writes a letter to the Philippians, in part to confirm that Epaphroditus was indeed sick and to explain how sick he had been and to send a receipt to the Philippian church, I got what you sent to me. Okay, we, uh, whenever we give money to a mission organization, they always send us a receipt back to say, here's what we got from you. Because they know uh, there have been times when there are people who don't do things like they're supposed to, either on the sending end or the receiving end, and they're embezzling money. And so there's got to be that level of accountability. In fact, we just from one of the mission agencies we support, first time this ever happened to me, we got a letter from them saying, this is our record for the yearly giving. Our auditors are requesting that you confirm that number, and send back this form directly to the auditors so that they know that that's indeed what uh, you gave to the mission, so that they know we're telling the truth about what you gave to the mission. Now, they're probably not doing that with all of the churches in the United States that are giving to them, but they probably selected some random number because they have hundreds of churches that support this particular mission. And I appreciated that very much. Well, that's, Paul is basically doing that. He doesn't give the amount here, so we don't know what that was or how it exactly was delivered to him, but he was giving them thanks for what they had given. And so after all this was done and the letter to the Philippian church was delivered, everything would be well, the church would be assured. Epaphroditus is okay because he's actually bringing the letter with him, that he was in fact sick, nothing bad happened to him other than that. Uh, He didn't steal the money or run off with it or anything like that. And so that's the circumstance. We first then look in verse 25 and we see Paul's elevated uh, description of Epaphroditus. And uh, this could be exemplary, should be exemplary to us as well. Are you like Epaphroditus in these five areas? Number one, Paul says of him, he is a brother. He deeply cared for him as a brother. He was his spiritual brother. They have the same Lord, the same Father. They shared the same faith. They are, in every sense of the word, real kin to one another. Kind of use that southern term, maybe. Is that a southern term there? Kin to one another. They really are. 
You and I, if we're brothers or brother and sister in the Lord, are really family with one another. It's true because we have this bond which is in Christ, which we, you know, we don't share biologically. I mean, unless you go you know, way far back to Noah, right, or whatever, and his, his family, or Adam and Eve, as people say quickly without thinking about the flood. But you know, we're really brothers. We're really brothers in the Lord. And he was a brother. Paul loved him. He was also a fellow worker. Now, this is a compound word in the, in the original language, which really does mean a worker together with. They work side by side. Now, you, would, you, you might ask yourself, well, how is Epaphroditus a fellow worker with Paul? Let's suppose, as it seems just from what we know here, that he was a deacon to the church or a deacon to the Apostle Paul. His ministry was counted just as much of importance as Paul's ministry was. Paul was the guy out speaking. Epaphroditus was, well, he wasn't out speaking. He was in, the, in prison speaking now at this point. But um, Epaphroditus was the guy that came along to support him. Those two jobs are important. They're very important. And so just because you're not doing a job which is like, you know, this in the church doesn't mean your job isn't equally important. You have an important place in ministry to do the work of the ministry. Fellow workers. By the way, this is work. It's not just an emphasis on the fellow part. It's an emphasis on the work part. They labored together in the gospel. Paul not elevating himself, not diminuating what Epaphroditus was doing. Uh, What he is doing, Paul sees as just as important as what the people in Philippi are doing, supporting the work as what he is doing. But they are working, and ministry is indeed work. But also he calls him, look at verse 25, piling up wonderful expressions here. He says he is a fellow soldier, fellow soldier. In this faith, we are not just brothers, we're not just laborers, but we are soldiers for Jesus Christ. We have to see that this is a battle that we're in. It's a battle for souls, it's a battle for truth, it's a battle for holiness and righteousness in our lives. This is not something that we can just kind of, you know, go into like green soldiers untrained We need to have our basic training. We need to have our muscles exercised, spiritually speaking. We need to have our senses discerned to tell the difference between good and evil. We need to know the Word of God. I was just encouraging our young people in the class this morning. After baptism, what's next? Well, one of the things I said to them is, you should be in the Word of God daily, as much as you can, every day, read a portion of God's Word. And I encourage them to do that at some point in the day, every day, like in the evening, like I did when I was a young person. Uh, Mornings were not good. You have to get up and get ready and go to school and everything's in a rush. But in the evening, it might work out nicely. And I, I, I assured them, I hope I wasn't speaking out of turn, that you parents would not frown upon them if they asked, Mom and Dad, could I leave the light on for a few minutes to read the Bible? I hope you won't frown on that. Yeah. 
because they need to get ready to be fellow soldiers. This is not, you know, I remember this phrase from our boys watching Winnie the Pooh. Playtime is over and done with. You know, time to clean up. Playtime is over and done with, my friends. If you're playing at Christianity, you need to start soldiering at Christianity. This is not a game. You see the stakes out there. I mean, you know, like I was saying earlier, we're sitting here minding our own business, trying to help Bibles International, and we're publishing Bibles, and all of a sudden, wham. Nope, you can't publish that one. What do you mean? It's just a Bible. Well, we know what that means. That's the nations raging again. And we have to work our way around it. It's just, you know, that's what we have to do. That's the work. That's the soldiering. That's the, you know, the, the furtive work that has to be done to get the Word of God like Brother Andrew did into, in behind the Iron Curtain. It just has to be done. Because God's Word will not be bound. And as much as we're His servants, we're going to make sure that it's not bound. Paul says also that Epaphroditus is your messenger, your messenger. He was a servant of the church, and they sent him as a servant. And guess what word is used there for messenger? Actually, we looked at a word messenger yesterday, didn't we, men, in the men's prayer meeting? It was the the word for angel, uh, the word for angelos. This, Paul is saying, he is an apostle. Now, he's not an apostle of Jesus Christ in the technical sense of the the 11 plus Matthias plus Paul, 13, but he is an apostle of the church. There's a different sending agency, not Jesus directly, but the church. So he's sent out from the church to give the financial help from them to Paul. Maybe he was an elder in the church, a pastor, maybe he was a deacon, Uh, But his role was a deacon to Paul here. He was a servant, a minister to pass the financial support and maybe to help in in his mundane needs as well. And finally, it says in verse 25, he was one who ministered to my need. I'm still asking you if you're like this kind of person is, one who ministered to my need. Perhaps Paul needed food, medicine, other physical needs, clothing, to keep warm in that place where he was or whatever. This word to minister, and by the way, I think I have this in my notes, maybe somewhere else. Um, The circumstances that Paul would have been experiencing in prison, if what we read is correct uh, about uh, some of those circumstances in Roman prison. Now, he may have been under under house arrest, um, and he was at, you know, we know that in Acts, but... They didn't provide him three squares a day and exercise facilities and and, uh, all that sort of thing. You know what I'm saying? Your friends might have to bring you food if you are to survive. And so the need for this was was crucial. He also would have a need, by the way, for finances if, if the legal system was anything like ours, right? You have to pay your lawyer to help you deal with, you know, the machinations of the the Roman legal system, perhaps. So he was one who ministered. And by the way, if you look at that, again, it says he ministered. But really what you could do if you're noting your Bible or writing notes on the notes here is note this. This word minister is to minister as a priest. It's liturgos. 
It's, it's, it's the sacrificial ministry of the Old Testament priest updated into New Testament circumstances. It's the, it's, the, it's the fact that when we minister for the Lord, when you sing to the Lord truly from your heart, when you give to the Lord, when you serve a brother or sister, when you serve somebody who's shut in, when you share the gospel with somebody, you're ministering as a priest to God. And I want you to see your ministry like that. It is a holy thing to serve God that way. Every act of service done in the name of Christ, truly in faith and obedience to God's word, is a sacrifice to God. Paul talks about the sacrifice of our lips, giving praise to his name. Uh, He talks about uh, himself being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of the Philippians' work. And then at the end, he says in 4.18 that this offering that they gave, listen to the Old Testament language come through, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice well-pleasing to God. This is, this is priestly language here. Every one of you who is a believer is a believer priest. You have the privilege to not only directly access God through Christ in prayer, but you have the privilege to serve God as a priest to other people. That's amazing, isn't it? You are a priest like Epaphroditus, a liturgos, a priestly minister of the Word of God. Powerful word. This is worship, my friends. Not just singing in church is worship. More than that is worship. But now we come to the sickness of Epaphroditus in 26. And it says, he was longing for you all. This is like a word almost like he was homesick and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. This is um, interesting to me. Paul did not heal everyone who was sick. He left Trophimus in a town called Miletus, 2 Timothy 4.20, and he was sick. Was he not able to heal Epaphroditus? Obviously, God didn't allow him to do so. He wanted Epaphroditus to go through the illness. He wanted Paul and the church to bear the burden of concern for him. Why, among other reasons, so that we would have this illustration of mutual concern of all the believers for one another in the church as an example for ourselves. God wanted him to go through that. He wanted Paul and the church to bear the burden of concern in this way. They're thinking, here's this guy laid up in bed, sick, Because of me, you know, the church, we sent him. Because of Paul, he had to come to help me. It's sort of like, uh, you know, survivor's guilt, which is real. Why did God allow him? He was the one serving. Why did God allow him to almost die? How terrible. Paul only healed, by the way, when it was God's will for somebody to be healed, uh, you know, when he used the signs of an apostle, it was God's will, not when it was merely Paul's will to do so. And somehow, we don't understand how this works, but somehow in Paul's conscious awareness, he knew when it was something God wanted him to do and when it was not something that God wanted him to do as far as exercising the apostolic gift of healing that he had. Now, notice that Epaphroditus was not bothered that he was sick. Most of us, when we're sick, we're pretty bothered by it, right? 
and we can complain up a storm and tell everybody all our symptoms and all that sort of stuff. It's all good stuff, you know, but um, that would be natural for him to be concerned about himself, but rather he was distressed that the church family had heard that he was sick. Now, I don't think he was disturbed that, you know, they knew he was sick because, you know, I'm a private person and uh, I I don't want to look weak. You know, his pride getting in there and and saying, oh, it shows, you know, it makes me look bad that I'm sick. No, the distress did not come from a negative motivation inside of him. It was from his good relationship with them and his concern that they were troubled. Why were they troubled? Well, they had sent him on this journey and now he was so sick as to die it could be you know, heavy on their consciences that they sent the guy to his death, in effect. So he was, he was distressed about that. Now, some interpreters have postulated that there was something more going on here, like perhaps the church was dissatisfied with his ministry somehow, um, or you know, concerned that he was kind of a bad person or something, like that illustration I used, maybe he stole the money kind of thing. Um, but the text tells us the reason doesn't it? It tells us the reason why he was distressed. He was distressed because they had heard that he was sick. Uh, I don't think he was distressed because, oh man, the church thinks I'm a bad person now. Um, I can imagine a set of circumstances where that could be the case, but it just doesn't seem to prove out from this text that that's clearly what happened. So they were deeply concerned for Epaphroditus, and he had a Christian concern for his church family. Um, and to me, it's just amazing to go back to this thought. Here he is. I mean, Paul says he almost died. That means he almost died. And I don't know how Epaphroditus felt, except terrible, when he was sick. But to think that he's in his bed of sickness and he's concerned for others, that's a testimony. That he did not seek only his own things, but he sought the things which belong to Jesus Christ. Go back to our earlier messages on that very topic. Well, the situation was that he was ill um, when, he went with, when he went with Paul, uh, to Paul rather. Uh, maybe, let's just imagine, how could that be? The rigors of the journey, the weather, the temperature, some virus or bacteria, some allergy, some other things set in on him and ended up nearly costing him his life. Let that sink in for a moment. Because he went out of his way to help minister the gospel, he nearly died due to what we would otherwise call natural causes. All else being equal, he would not have had this problem if he had just stayed home. Just stayed home. You know, it's too risky to go out. It's too, to go on this long journey and and robbers and sea travel, you know, I get seasick and and all this terrible stuff, and, you know, why stick my neck out? Because you're serving the Lord Christ, that's why. I uh, give this, this is a very small illustration, okay? It's a personal illustration, but very, uh, nothing compared to what is happening here, Uh, especially the times that I've traveled overseas for uh, mission work with GMSA, about uh, just a little under half of those times I have been or returned ill. And I kind of dread going because I'm like, oh, here we go again. You know, last time it was COVID I came back with. 
uh, in January. And uh, other times it's been various afflictions toward which I tend. And so I know if I travel, there are risks involved, and it could be unpleasant. But it's always the blessing and burden of serving Christ that pushes me over the hump on those. And Epaphroditus was far, I mean, my illustration's like this, okay? He's like this. He, he risked his neck for the sake of the gospel. Now, he probably didn't go out thinking, well, I'm about to die on this one, but I'll go in. I mean, he didn't know, but that you never know. You know, like sometimes I go, I've traveled, I've come back, and everything's been fine, and I'm like, whoa, I could do that again. You know, that's great. But he became severely ill because he ministered the gospel, ministered for the gospel. He could say, he could say that. Now, there are, there are two, inter, two interconnected reasons here why Paul tells them, look, you should honor this guy. First of all, he nearly died in service to Christ, and he was doing what you couldn't do for me in service because you were absent. Now, I'm thinking about this in my study this past few days, and you know, maybe somebody speculates, well, they, you can kind of downplay this. Like, well, Epaphroditus probably had some disease, like, you know, he just needed to get, you know, amoxicillin and he'd be fine. You know, his, uh, his pneumonia would have gone away or whatever he had, no problem. Um, don't downplay it like that. Like, yeah, maybe he had some disease that was curable today. Uh, but, you know, just update it to the modern example of something that is deadly today and difficult to fix. Heart failure, cancer, stroke, or something that would be life-threatening. And you say, well, how can those come about by ministering the gospel? Well, maybe you're on an airplane flight to a mission location and you get a blood clot in your leg because it's a 14-hour flight. Oops. It goes to your brain. You have a stroke. It goes to your lungs. You have a pulmonary embolism. That's deadly. Just speaking to somebody who, uh, whose wife had a, not in our church uh, or connections here that you would know, but had a, a blood clot in her lung, and she was taken in, and they took out a humongous blood clot in one of her veins or arteries or whatever, and uh, she's breathing much easier now. Maybe um, the stress of hiking up to a remote mountain church meeting put your heart over the edge and you became unable to function. Maybe you're in a place of high pollution and you got a lung infection and you're knocked out with pneumonia for weeks. Who knows? But this is a serious problem. And Paul says this was so serious that had God not had mercy on him, I would have had sorrow upon sorrow. It's a phrase that conveys the depth of grief that is hard to explain in mere words. You've felt sorrow upon sorrow before? For a time? That sorrow would be multiplied not only because would a man have died, and not only would Paul feel responsible, but also the church in Philippi would be missing one of its key leaders, one of its key servants. It's bound. You see, Paul felt great compassion both for the messenger and for the church, and he was not so concerned about himself as he was for others. Now, you may have gone through a time of sorrow upon sorrow, or maybe you're in one such time right now, you feel. By trusting God with his help, with the fellowship of his people, 
you can make it through to better, smoother, calmer waters. I want to encourage you about that. If you're in the midst of sorrow upon sorrow, don't think it's the end of everything, okay? Get some help. Talk to fellow, fellow believers. Get some encouragement from them. That's what we're here for. Just being together is an encouragement. Just you being here is an encouragement to me. Do you know that? Even if you are suffering sorrow upon sorrow, you can be an encouragement to others, and others can be an encouragement to you. A lot of it depends on you. you know, are you going to entrust uh, toward, you know, are you going to spiral upwards toward God in this, or are you going to spiral downwards in self-focus on this situation? But fortunately, we say, uh, blessedly, Paul did not have to suffer sorrow upon sorrow because why? God had mercy. Now, he didn't do a miracle, but he had mercy. A happy providence smiled upon them, and Epaphroditus was granted an extension of life. I bet you Paul was praying for that, and I bet the Philippian church, once they learned, was praying for that, and I bet anybody else in Rome who was a Christian was praying for that, and God answered their prayers. So imagine weeks sick, perhaps weeks recuperating to get back strength for the long journey back home, Once he was healthy, Paul eagerly sends him back, and he says so. Verse 28, I sent him eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice. Maybe you've had this kind of experience where you have someone in your home, maybe family, friends, missionaries in our case many times, and um, perhaps the circumstances work out such that, you know, news comes that uh, they have to cut short their visit or something's happening. They've got to go to the next destination. And even though you don't want them to leave, really in your heart, you, you would love for them to stay forever. Um, but you, because you're, you're like Paul, you're, you're, you're kind of eager to push them on, not to get rid of them out of your home, but to say, look, you've got to go. No, I don't want to go. No, you have to leave now. The plane is going to leave. You have to go. So you kind of eagerly push them on their way I think that's what Paul's feeling is like. I don't want him to go, but he has to go. This is much better for the life of the church. Why send him back? Well, to comfort the Philippians who are concerned and to comfort Epaphroditus who is distressed. That word distressed, by the way, means kind of like distracted, burdened, um, sometimes so distracted or burdened that you kind of are useless to the current task. You know, your brain isn't there. You know, your brain isn't on your work, it's on Ukraine. Yes, have you had that this week? And you just can't stop thinking about the souls that are dying for idiot, idiotic reasons. I mean, it's just crazy. You're distressed. You can't sleep, whatever. Um, so Paul's like, I know how to solve this. I'm going to send him right back. We'll solve that. The church back home would be happy to see their fellow servant their sorrow would be erased. Uh, this was a long trip, very long trip. You know, when, when somebody in our church is gone for a while, maybe they've been sick and they come back, I just feel a great heart of rejoicing. I, I know many of you do, and I, tr- I want to encourage that kind of attitude of mutual care by this message among us that we would have that same kind of feeling when we see each other, again, especially after a lengthy uh, absence. So Paul instructed the church to receive their messenger. 
There is no question about him. He was of good character. He was very ill. He was of the highest caliber of godliness. He was worthy of honor, esteem, commendation, not dishonor, not doubt, not condemnation. He stuck his neck out to the point of death for the Lord. Those people are worthy of admiration. Not worthy of worship, of course, but worthy of admiration in what they do. You know, missionaries, we, I think we feel this maybe when we say we see a missionary who's willing to go to a very difficult field, worthy of admiration. Would you do that? Some of us don't even reach out to our family or acquaintances here in freedom, in peace, with ease, much less go to some place that's very difficult. And so that kind of person is worthy of admiration. The aid that Epaphroditus was given was probably money, just silver or whatever, because that would be easier to carry. But I can imagine it was a fairly substantial offering, not a hundred bucks in our day. It may be several thousand dollars. And uh, can you imagine carrying that money in an environment where that was the case. Have you ever carried a large sum of money in cash overseas? I won't tell you my story publicly. You have to ask me privately. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a little bit nerve-wracking, you know. You don't want to experience any holdups, that's for sure. Paul needed some support, and they wanted to send him that support. Um, Now, at the end of the chapter here, you see this phrase. I just want to deal with this one last thing. Uh, He says that Epaphroditus was not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. We probably read that in a bit of a negative sense, like Paul's complaining almost at their lack of service, at their lack of service, but that wasn't the case. Um, I think what he's talking about is they had a lack of ability to serve him because they were 700 miles away. 600 miles away, however far it was. They could not physically be present to help him, so the church helped him in this remote fashion by sending a minister. Paul is not saying that their support for him was was insufficient or inadequate because in chapter 4, he tells them, look, you sent once and again and again to my need. You supported me very generously. So he's not complaining or criticizing them. He's just saying, you can't help me where you're at because you're so far away. Finally, as we close, interpreters often say that the book of Philippians is about the theme of joy. And you can find things in there, you know, rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice and so on. But I think to kind of shoot, and this is one of my problems with kind of modern, you know, one theme preaching, To shoehorn everything in a text or a book into just one idea can kind of clip the blessing or the content of that material down too far. Another good theme to observe here in Philippians is service to others. Consider the teaching of chapter 2, verse 4. Let each of you look look out not only for his own interest, but also the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, the theme of service to others. Paul served the church at Philippi. He was serving people to whom he was writing. Timothy was a man who Paul could not find like 
uh, manner of in the circles where he was. He cared about the things of others. Epaphroditus stuck out his neck, literally almost dying for the gospel. And then for the entire church that cared for him, he's talking about his service, their service, Epaphroditus' service, Timothy's service. What I'm trying to elevate is an attitude of mutual encouragement and service among our church based on the example of this. Do you think God's trying to tell us something with the, I think five examples here? I mean, right here. The church functions because of the service of its people. The service of its people models the love of Christ toward us as we love one another. And the service is not just for pastors and missionaries. It's for every single individual in the church to be involved in this mutual service, mutual care, mutual encouragement to one another in the church. You think about it and say to yourself, last week, am I like a Timothy? Am I like Epaphroditus? Am I like the church in Philippi? And in any way in which the Lord convicts you about that, why, you know what to do. Turn away from yourself and turn to him and be restored to a good fellowship. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the privilege to look into your word, this passage which initially may seem to be so uh, historically focused, so uh, situationally dependent that it might not have application, in fact, is a rich application as we apply the example to our own lives. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.